Welcome to another episode of Latino Sutra. I'm your host, Victor Escalante. This week, we have special guest Ricardo Leon, who is a master practitioner and trainer of neuro-linguistic programming, or NLP for short. Ricardo got off to a rough start in life as a high school dropout, but you will hear his fascinating story of how he became a self-made IT professional and how he turned his interest in personal development into a thriving business. Ricardo and his wife are philanthropists who give back to their community, so let's get started. Ricardo, welcome to our show. I'm excited to be here. It's an honor, and I love the what I love what you do for the Latinos. I think it's important to get our stories out there and show people what we're capable of and inspire other people and show them that it can be done. Absolutely. I think it's time that we Latinos drive the narrative of what we do in our communities and what we do in the service of others. Ricardo, it's an honor to have you also as a expert in NLP. You're a corporate consultant, the executive coach. Anything else that you do in your community? The best thing that we do is we have a nonprofit, a 501c3 called Baskets for Good, and we help families in need around the holidays. That's got to be very rewarding for you. Very purposeful living. You know, the corporate training is great, the coaching and everything, but man, Knowing that we can get all of the community together to come out and make a difference, that's really what it's about, because it's about giving back. You're home-based out of where? We're in North Texas. I'm in Frisco, but New North Texas slash Dallas. We're up okay. here in the Dallas area. So, Ricardo, your bio says that you were a dropout in high school. Tell us about that. What led to you giving up high school? The mindset. When I grew up, I grew up with a single mom. She worked two, three jobs at a time, just came home to sleep. And I was at home getting in trouble, hanging out with the wrong people. We know proximity is power. And that was my proximity. That's what I knew. And my other friends started dropping out. But it actually ended up working in my benefit. Because when I started to realize that that's not who I was, I had to work. In my head, when I got that first professional IT job going from restaurants to retail, and I got an IT, IT job, in my head, I had to work three times harder in order to make a bigger impact, in order to show them that I am not just a high school dropout. So in my head, I've always had to work that much more harder to make up for the fact that I didn't graduate high school or have a college degree. I think in general, minorities and Latinos in particular have to work extra hard to prove themselves. Even if you've got the degree, even if you've got the talent, I think in general, in my observation, you have to prove yourself and you got to work it hard, more so than the average uh, Anglo. Don't you agree? I agree. But it's also about setting an expectation. When I got hired, so let me back up a little bit. So I worked in retail, I worked in restaurants, and I was working two jobs. And I applied for an entry-level IT position that I was grossly underqualified for. At this point in my life, I had never touched a computer. I have never owned a computer. I didn't know anything about Windows, Excel, Internet Explorer, anything. But I went to the interview and I, and when the interviewee was asking me, his name was Pete. He's like, are you familiar with Excel? Yes, sir. I sure am. 
Are you familiar with Word? Yes, sir. I sure am. Are you able to do this, this, and this? Yes, sir. I sure am. And I didn't think I was going to get it because I knew that people with degrees were applying for this position. This was a very sought after position in Longview, Texas, because there's not any or many IT jobs at the time. And so it was a very sought out. And I remember being at the newspaper because I was working at the local newspaper and they called me at my little extension up there. And he's like, hey, this is Pete. And in my head, I'm like, oh, he's calling to let me down. And when he's like, you know, I was sorry it took so long to get back to you, but we were trying to make the final decisions and we decided to offer you the job. Man, it was it was a big deal, man. Because at that time, $12 an hour. That was a lot wow. of money. It was a lot of money. A lot of money. Because um, I was working two jobs at minimum wage, which was about five or six bucks an hour. And so talk to me about your mindset. What? What were you thinking about when you decided to scale up to a professional level? I thought this is my chance. This is my opportunity to do something and make something out of myself. And I'm not going to allow myself to drop the ball. And so I went into it, not just wanting to meet their expectation, would exceed every single expectation they had for that position and for the person that they wanted there. And that's what I did. That's what I did. Every, anything that they wanted me to do, I did it. Anything they didn't even ask me to do, I was, I was asking about it. I was interested. I was there. And that's what it was. It was an opportunity. And I wasn't going to allow it to pass by. So one appeared to another. Was it a part of you that was pushing you and driving you to move to another level? Or was it your mother's inner drive that was a part of you? What was it? Both. It was both. That's a great question, by the way, because I have never actually taken that into consideration. But I can say without a doubt that it was both because she embedded this grit this work ethic inside of me. And she was only able to take it so far. But because I saw her grind and her grit and what she did and how she pushed herself consecutively every single day to get what she wanted, it showed me what I could do. But yeah. Sure. The reason I ask is most inner critics that a person carries is their mother's voice. And the positive intention of that inner critic is not to make you feel bad, but to get you to step up. Correct. To get you to live up to norms that you were raised with. And generally, that's going to be the ethos of your mother. So that's why I was curious to see if this was a program part of you that had to do with your mother. It was because she didn't necessarily talk down to me she didn't talk the most positive and let's just face it victor most latino mamas from they got school, the chancla <laughs> man they're not the most positive and motivating no. inspirational people in the world right but i just she worked hard and that's what i saw that's what i knew and looking past when she would like say hey you know you need to finish high school and i'm like no you know no seas un pendejo you know things like that it wasn't like 
bad, bad, right? But it also wasn't inspiring. But it, what I was able to do is just look and say, hey, you know, if my mom worked 18 hours a day at her age. I can do it, too. So you got the job, but you didn't know anything about what you were signing up for. So how in the world did you pull it off? Well, I went and got one of those big old books that was like Office and Windows for Dummies. I remember those. Yeah. I started reading when I got in there, just my natural sense of curiosity. My first thing was like, if I could just log on, I'm good. That was that was the standard. I just wanted to be able to log on. Sure. And they trained me very well. They trained me very well in that entry level position. But I just figured it out. I just had to figure it out. I didn't have a choice. I mean, obviously, we have a choice. But in my sure. head, sure, there was no choice. Failure was not an option. Have you always been an innate learner to where you pick up things easily? Yeah. Yes, I have actually, because when I picked up, when I, my introduction to NLP was Unlimited Power from Tony Robbins back in 1989, and I was reading that. I didn't know what it was. I didn't understand NLP. Victor, I didn't even know how to pronounce the word rapport. <laughs> I had never seen that word in my life. And I'm like, rapport. Like, that's how I was read When I was reading it, I didn't even know how to pronounce it. I didn't know what it meant. And I didn't have anyone around me to ask. Well, kudos so, to you. If you could understand Unlimited Power, the book, because I couldn't. I mean, I read it and I only got about 30 at the most 40 percent of what the book entailed. But that started my curiosity to learn NLP and to pursue it as a lifelong uh, career. So you read the book, and what was your next step? My next step after reading the Microsoft and Office for Dummies books or the Unlimited Power? Yeah, uh, both. Okay, so I read the books. I started to get comfortable. I got the job. The good thing was once they set me down and showed me the basics, they left me alone in the room. They left me alone. This so was I had a, a newspaper that you were this, working on? This at? was the IT job. Okay. So they left me alone, and... I was able to just fiddle around and start to figure things out and play around with Excel and Word and all of these things that I told them that I could do. Yes. But the real kicker was that at the time, they didn't know where this position was going because they had just made it up. And they asked me if I was okay working seven days a week, eight hours a day. And I said, sure, no problem. That seven days a week started, turned into just over 300 days consecutively wow. working without a day off and 12 hour shifts on the weekends and maybe like an eight or 10 hour shift during the week. But it turned into well over 300 days of working without a day off without ever asking for a day off. Okay. For just almost a year. And I, I take that back. I took one day off to go to Dallas to go to a concert. But other than that, I was there at the table, at the desk, doing what I was paid to do. And what drove me there was it was my first check with overtime. Victor, $15 an hour at time and a half. That's a lot of money. Callate. Yeah. <laughs> so that more than qualifies you for the 2000 hours to master something. So you I, mastered. I was there just I mastered that position. And that so, position set me up for a position as a Unix administrator. So how that, did that change your mindset, having acquired mastery over IT? 
Um, not knowing anything going into it. You know, I think about this and I get asked this all the time. And it's in my head, it's just what had to be done. There was no understand. option. Understand that this was a failure was not an option. Definitely not. But how did that change your mindset? Did you have aspirations of scaling up to to something else or even changing careers? No, I actually didn't. But I knew that if I did, I could figure it out. So a certain point, I outgrew this position. I proved my loyalty, my work, my ethic. And they presented me with an option. They're like, hey, we'll train you to be an administrator on the systems, which is deeper IT stuff, Mm -hmm. or a developer. And we'll train you in that too. Which route would you like to go? And I said, I'll go down the administration route. And so they sent me to training classes through Hewitt Packard, through IBM, through different things. I got a few certifications under my belt. I really learned the platforms really, really well. I spent a lot of time learning and learning and learning just the same way that I did before. Repeat what I did before. And I did it again, just at a higher level. Rinse and and repeat. I was blessed enough to be able to turn that into a 20 plus very successful career in IT. Ricardo, Um, what advice would you give to young Latinos that are listening to this interview? If you don't come from education, if you don't have a degree, if you are an immigrant and aspiring to scale up in this country, what advice would you give someone that's listening to us? I was having a conversation about this with one of my other mentors. His name is Art here in the North Texas area a few years ago. And we were texting about this type of message. And he's like, Ricardo, it comes down to ganas. Ganas. You just got to have that ganas. And what I love about that word. For those that don't understand what ganas is. I sure will. What I love about that word is that the word ganas itself doesn't have a direct translation to English because ganas is that fire in your soul, that spirit in your belly, that drive that just pushes you to just, that just pushes you to do more than what you think you're capable of. Correct. Yeah. Even when you say it, just yeah, even absolutely. if you guys out there listening right now, if you don't even know what it means, just say it. Ganas. It's a visceral feeling. Correct. Correct. Because there's no direct translation to English because it's that fire in your belly, that spirit in your soul that just pushes you to be more and do more and excel at whatever you do. I interviewed a gentleman that his company is Conganas. Oh, (laughs) there you go. And he's also an immigrant from Monterrey who scaled up and uh, went into the military and is now uh, he he's had several careers in banking in the oil and gas industry. And he just recently left a very good job as the director of the, uh, at one of the local colleges uh, for the uh, small business uh, training center there. So uh, he decided to start his own company and that's what he called it, Con Ganas. Con Ganas. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet you, I'll be willing to bet that this gentleman repeats that phrase in his head day in and day out. I'm sure. Everything he does. So what else uh, would you advise young Latinos or Latinas listening to you? The art of resourcefulness. 
I think the more that I go, the more that things are starting to open up and I'm engaging with young people just in general, Latinos, the young Latinos really need to be resourceful. If you're, whatever job you're doing right now, if someone's asking you something and you don't necessarily know the answer, try to figure it out. That goes such a long way instead of just shrugging your shoulders like Curious George and saying like, oh, I don't know. Let me go find someone. That oh, reminds no. me of one of my earliest shows where I interviewed a gentleman who has a uh, film production company out in uh, Los Angeles. And he says uh, that his key to success was just saying yes to everything. Yeah. Can you do this? Yes. <laughs> yes. That's it. It's resourcefulness, right? And I think that with the world changing with cell phones and instant gratification, and all these other things that, that are happening is the art of resourcefulness and the mindset of stepping up yes. and learning and taking initiative is starting to get lost a little bit. And my guess is that in the next five to 10 years, people are going to look for that skill, the skill of being resourceful, having initiative, having that ganas to figure it out. And I don't care what you're doing. If you're a waiter, if you're working retail, if you're working construction, I don't care where you are right now. Don't just do that job. Start learning and asking about the other jobs that are going on. If someone's asking you something and you don't know the answer and then you think then someone shows you the answer, don't be scared to investigate that a little bit further and use that knowledge and that resourcefulness that you got. Haven't you found, Ricardo, that there is opportunity all around us and you just got to see it and ask for the chance to step up? Correct. And the thing here is my biggest lesson here is and in this session here and talking about resourcefulness is if you just passively safely stay in your lane without ever going into another lane or taking that exit you're always going to go down the same path yes you got to you got to you got to venture out you got to explore a little bit i was saying that if you're not growing you're dying and a Correct. lot of people are dead and they don't even know it Correct. And just do everything with joy and passion. Like we go out and we engage with people and we see people and people who work at all levels, they just kind of mope along and just like Don Tortuga over here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No passion, no spirit, no ganas. Right. So whatever you're doing right now, whatever position you're at, whatever level you're at, do it with pride do it with joy do it with ganas do it with passion all right ricardo so you were exposed to nlp through tony robbins book unlimited power what was the next step for you in your learning nlp so in the learning nlp well let me throw another little caveat here is that after unlimited power my second self-development book ever was the seven habits of highly effective people stephen covey uh-huh stephen covey a classic book, and that really laid down the concepts that I needed in order to learn pretty much anything, because the idea of being proactive and short sharpening the saw and win-win, that's just been driven in my head. So anything that I do, I'm always looking for that win-win. I'm always looking to be proactive and how I'm going to react versus respond. And when it came to NLP, I was just looking like, 
I don't know if you remember, but there used to be tape sets and they would come from Nightingale Kona. Sure. And those tape sets were pretty, it was a pretty hefty investment at the time. But there was some NLP that started to come out on tapes. And then at some point there was like NLP for dummies and right. all these other little NLP books started to come out. And then I was exposed to um, Princess to Frogs by Richard Bandler, you know, one of the first NLP books sure. and things like that. So it was just a lot of reading. And I didn't take a formal NLP course from a trainer till probably 2019 or 2018. Tell us what sort of training you took. So I took a practitioner training, just a regular practitioner training from a local trainer here in Dallas. And it left a lot of holes because I thought that through this training, I was going to be able to get answers to things that I didn't understand just from books or from tape because I didn't know where, how, or where to find NLP people at. It wasn't like we just had Facebook and you could just do NLP and boom, they come up, right? right? They were still, even though they're still there, it's still kind of a hidden thing. If you know, you know, and if you don't, you don't. It is. And, NLP, and, Houston has a lot of uh, psychotherapists that are trained in NLP from the early days, but they don't actively promote themselves. They correct. just have it as an adjunct uh, model to use with uh, certain psychotherapeutic interventions but they Correct. don't actively promote that they are NLP certified. Correct. Because it's still kind of, it, what's interesting about NLP, it's power and the potency of the processes and the language has been shown over and over again, but it's still kind of this kind of eggshell taboo thing. But I think that it's starting to get out of that. It is totally mainstream now. I have seen in a lot of communication fields already incorporated. So it has seeped into mainstream communication models and even medicine and law that I have seen. I've seen because I've looked at a lot of uh, peer reviewed journals and there's a lot of articles covering NLP and the practice of it in, in all these different disciplines. So you went and got certified in NLP in Dallas. And what was your next step that you took in your, in your training? Just researching, um, you know, going to YouTube, learning more about the processes. And then through going through YouTube and some other sources, I ended up following Robert Diltz okay. and NLPU. And so the last year I finished up my master practitioner through Robert Diltz at NLPU. And I can't say enough about that training. I Congratulations. really enjoyed that training. Yes, I that was also trained in a lot of uh, Robert Dilt's models because he's considered a co-developer of NLP in the field. Without nerding out for our listeners, tell us how specifically NLP helped you, uh, Ricardo. You already were self-driven. You had ganas. But how specifically did NLP help you to up your game to be able to become a better husband, better father, better employee? I would say communication. I always go back to the, the, to the basics, visual, auditory, kinesthetic. How are people talking? What are they saying? Are they talking in a visual, auditory, or kinesthetic sense? 
what is their physiology like? Are they in a visual, like super excited physiology, more mellow where they're listening, wanting to pay attention or really just Victor? I just, the passion that I feel for this. And you're very kinesthetic. You even have a hard time, you know, <laughs> masking so just, it. So just everything I'm able to just see so and listeners- create rapport. So let me translate to you guys what he's trying to say. In the field of NLP, we have three primary modes of communication. That's the visual. That's through uh, painting a picture with words. 60% of the population in America is visual. 40% is auditory, which means that you need to use predicate words that are auditory, like hear me, I hear what you say. That rings a bell for me, things like that. That's 20%. And then the other 20% are the Ricardos of this world that are very kinesthetic, very feeling-oriented, very visceral. And so what Ricardo is trying to convey to you is that learning NLP helped them to instantly communicate more effectively with anyone. You had the ability to enter into their world easily instead of having a disconnect in talking with someone that is different than you. So how else were you helped by learning NLP and then practicing it as as a daily practice? Because once you know NLP, you cannot not NLP. The other thing that was very powerful was state management. Okay. Learning to consciously, not not unconsciously, but consciously manage my state. So that's been very helpful, especially when it starts, when I start my morning rituals, I know what's going on. How do you do it for the sake of listeners? So let me back it up a little bit. So for the sake of the listeners, think of a song that just excites you. Mm -hmm. Anytime that you listen to this song, no matter when, where, it just stirs up these emotions and you remember that situation, you can picture it in your head, you can hear the music there, and it stirs up these emotions. That's the most basic example of an anchor, that we're anchoring ourselves to that song, and when we hear it, it stirs something up within us. It stirs up that experience. That's the stimulus response. That's like the Pavlovian conditioning. Correct. And knowing that I am consciously or unconsciously anchoring myself every single day has made a huge difference. One of the best examples is my wife. You know, I got her into NLP and she did the master practitioner with me. And what ended up happening was at her, one of her previous jobs, she would come home a little stressed out. And then she would see my face and my son's face stressed out. And day in, day out, she would come home, see us stressed out. She would come home, see us stressed out. She would come home, see us stressed out. And then eventually, what would happen, Victor? She would just see my face and be stressed out. (laughs) But because she had this knowledge and she was aware of what's going on, we were able to change these patterns and break that anchor that was happening. Which, by the way, that's what corrupts relationships is they they become anchored, negatively Correct. anchored to one another. And they don't even realize how just being in the presence of someone you're supposed to be in love with instantly puts you in a, into an unresourceful uh, state. 
Correct. And it happens all of the time yes. with any kind of relationship, marriages, work relationships, friendships. Anything. That's because the mind is a phenomenal computer that is constantly learning. Correct. Looking for patterns. Yeah, We're absolutely. always looking for that pattern. And if we remember that pattern, ignites that emotion within us over and over again. All right. But that's so you became certified as an NLP practitioner, a master practitioner, and now a certified trainer. What are you doing in your community with your education? And so one of the big things that we do, we do corporate training. I'll go into different companies and we talk about leadership, mindset, really help them communicate with their staff because we're talking to upper management, leadership and helping them create that rapport and create the culture that they want. Okay. That's the big thing. You're listening to Latinos Who Thrive with special guest Ricardo Leon. We'll be right back. This show is sponsored by ETC, Escalante Training and Consulting. Do you need more sales and greater productivity? For more than two decades, Victor Escalante has been training executives and companies in cultural communications, team building processes, sales competency, emotional intelligence, and project management. Find out how ETC is ready to help you by visiting their website at victorescalante.com. And now we return you to our special guest, Ricardo Leon, who is going to continue with his story. In your experience, what do you think are the greatest challenges that businesses are now facing post-COVID pandemic? Keeping employees. Retention. Figuring out how to retain employees yeah. for a long term without having them hop from one place to another to another. That's becoming a huge problem. And one of the big things is that the employees, especially the workers, are starting to realize that they can just go somewhere else and get a job. Right. They can go somewhere else and get a job. So if there's something uncomfortable going on in the position that they're in, they just jump ship. And the cost that turnover has on the bottom line for a business is enormous because it takes time to retrain the new people. Correct. You're better off trying to figure out how to communicate, how to retain the good people that are going to work and do the job not just at the standard level, but exceeding that level and taking care of that employee. And I'll even go as far as saying cherishing that employee as an asset to the company. Absolutely. Because isn't that what most people are seeking is to feel belonging? Uh, in one study, I don't know how current it, this is, but income was only like number five in the list of values that employees wanted in a job. Right. The number one was to, to feel appreciated and feel a part of the company. Correct. Uh, Validation. And, and that's something that doesn't cost anything other than Nothing. just intention and time. Correct. And you would be surprised how many leaders, how many, how much management still sees if some employees, some managers, some leaders still see employees as a replaceable widget. It comes as no surprise because I've worked in corporate America and I have been a corporate trainer myself and I've seen the mindset of middle managers, how they think people are ex expendable. And, but now, post-COVID, people are starting to realize that's not the case anymore. Yeah. Plain that's old common sense. 
plain old common sense that we're they're not not just extendable. You can't just go out and you know hire a bunch of monkeys to come and do the job. It doesn't work that way. You got to value and cherish your people. You have to take care of them. You have to provide. You have to create that culture. And then also not go too far into the culture where people are just comfortable running amok, right? It has, there has to be that balance of appreciation and validation, but also structure. Ricardo, I'm going to challenge you here. I'm going to pick your brain and I want you to tell our listeners, what do they absolutely need to have as values as core beliefs in their mindset in order to thrive and succeed? Not just do what you do, but what do you believe about what you're doing? Let me explain. So let's just take exercise for an example. Okay. What is your core belief about exercise? We know logically that it's good for us, that we should exercise, right? But what do you truly believe about exercise? Do you enjoy it? Do you not enjoy it? Do you, you know, we, we know we should do it, but then we don't, we fall off because we don't see the immediate result. So there was a study done and I can't remember who it was, who, the name of the professor, but they decided to test how believing in exercise changed the physical response to that exercise. So they wanted to set to prove that the power of what you believe about the exercise does for your body. So they had to find people who were getting a lot of exercise without really knowing that they were getting exercise. So who do they go to? Housekeepers at a hotel, right? They're going upstairs, they're pushing the cars, they're moving sure. around, they're doing all these things. And so they surveyed them and asked them, how much exercise do you believe you're getting? The majority of them said zero exercise. They did not believe they were getting exercise. And the average response was around three or four Interesting. on a scale to 10. So they did not believe they were getting exercise. They split up the housekeepers in two groups. One group, they left them alone. They didn't teach them anything. The other group, they started to show them the benefits of exercise and how they were doing what they were doing was really actually beneficial to them and why it was exercise. So they took some baseline metrics, blood pressure, blood, these types of things, right? And three, four weeks later, they came back, remeasured everyone, and the stats, the health of the people who believed that they were actually getting exercise improved. And they didn't do anything different. They didn't change their diets. They didn't walk up more stairs. They just kept doing what they were normally doing. The only thing that they changed was what they believed in what they were doing. Yeah, that's, that's a metacognition. It. It's a metacognition to have a belief about a belief. So Correct. that that is fascinating. That is very interesting. And some of the latest research in a lot of autoimmune diseases, they're discovering that the belief system is critical in yes. order to heal. Correct. Uh, a lot of the mindset that people have about being sick, if you change that, then that's going to exponentially have health benefits because you no longer believe a lot of the sickly beliefs, the social conditioning that people pick up in their environment. Correct. And so the big thing here is that I want everyone listening to think about is 
what do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about yourself? Do you believe, let me give you, let me give you a quick story. So a few weeks ago, my son was having a lot of problems in school and it was getting, it was really escalating. It was causing a lot of stress in our family dynamic. And it was really just stressful. And I was like, man, I'm such, you know, you go into that story because when something is going on with your kid, it shouldn't be a reflection of every other area of your life, but it just is. Right. And it's not right or wrong. It just is. And so I really had to step back and say, hey, hold on a second. I'm a troubleshooter with all of my years in IT and the consulting and the training in my essence and in my core, I am a troubleshooter. If I see a problem, I have the resources, inner and outer resources to figure out the problem. So I had to approach this situation as an issue that I had to troubleshoot. The minute that I dove into that part of my identity, my belief system, what I believe about myself, that I am capable of figuring out what the problem is, I was able to start doing some things, get him the help that he needed, and within a week and a half, boom, no more issues. No more issues. Because that's my deep belief about myself. I am a troubleshooter. I can fix it. I can figure out the problem, whether it's technical, psychological, I can help. I can, I can figure it out. It doesn't matter what it is. So what is your belief about yourself? Do you believe that you are capable of moving up in whatever position that you're in? Do you believe that you're capable of doing more than what you're currently doing for yourself? Do you believe that there is a vast amount of opportunity out there in the world that's just Right for the picking. What do you believe about yourself? Okay. Ricardo, that's an excellent uh, exercise. I want to ask you, the Ricardo of today does not believe what the high school dropout Ricardo believed. If you were to troubleshoot the younger Ricardo, what do you think were some of his limiting beliefs that made him drop out and they made him uh, get into the wrong crowd that maybe parents listening to us, they need to be very mindful of that they are not perpetuating or even contributing to having some of those mental viruses that is going to limit their kids. What would you say? You know, you know, that's a great question. And the reality is that at the time I was doing was fun. That's the first thing. It was fun. And going to school wasn't fun. And more of my friends were dropping out and they were out here having fun while I was in school. It's hard to argue. Hard to argue with that kind of mindset. It's like you need to work hard and you need to get your butt to school when all your peers are having fun. Correct. And so that was the big thing. But My mom was also not really around because she was working two or three jobs at any given time to support the family. You know, she bought one house for $5,000, 700 square feet. She bought another house for that was a thousand square feet. And she did this making minimum wage the majority of her life. So knowing that I didn't appreciate it at the time. So that's the one thing. That's the one thing. Appreciation. That yes. your kids will not appreciate what you're doing or what you're going through or the standards that you're setting for them while they're in it. 
while it's happening in real time, but they will have that appreciation years to come. So that's one. The other thing is my mom never really beat herself up. She allowed me to explore. She allowed me to learn. She allowed me to fall on my face over and over again and gave me the opportunity to pick myself up. So I'm not saying don't do anything about the kids that are going down the wrong track, but also don't try to persuade them harshly or force them into leaving what it is that they think they need to be doing. Some mistakes, they got to go through them they and learn do firsthand, them. don't they? They have to. They have to. Otherwise, you, know? you end up uh, creating kids that are very sheltered and they don't have any resilience to bounce back because they don't have the mental wiring to bounce back, to struggle, to figure it out. None, none. And this goes back to the point earlier about the lack of resourcefulness in the world. Yes. And being more resourceful and more resilient and being able to figure it out and be uncomfortable. If we just keep on sheltering our kids, they're never really going to develop that skill. But I believe that the majority of kids do want a great life. Absolutely. But we also have to, and I've recently experienced this. So my son is fixing to be nine. He's eight. He wanted a YouTube channel and he wants his merch. And I'm like, what? Like, dude, no, this is, this is not going to be the thing. You're not going to be a YouTuber, but you know what? I have to think back because I'm saying the same thing to him that my mom said to me, you need to get a good job in construction and stay there or at a, at a factory or an assembly plant and stay there and work there for 20 years. I'm saying the same exact thing to him. So just because it looks different than what I would want for him doesn't mean that it's wrong. And so that's the other thing is that we have to allow the progress, right? If he can make a million dollars on his YouTube channel, why not? Why not? He loves what, if he's enjoying it, doing the gaming, doing the YouTubes. Why not? Absolutely. Who am I to stop him? Yes. Right. Just because it doesn't, because it's not the way that I would do it, because I don't understand that model, that system, that place. Why would I hold him back? The physicist uh, Neil deGrasse he says that children are naturally born scientists. But it's the parents that end up taking that away from them, that innate Correct. curiosity. And you have mentioned it during our interview that you've always been a curious person. And don't you think that most NLPers that go in this deep have an innate curiosity to always try to figure out how the mind works and how other people's minds works as after you begin to practice? You have to. Well, see, that's my deep belief. Going yes. back to the belief about yourself. Yes. I, you know, I, I, you say that and it resonates with me and I couldn't agree more, but yes. that's my belief. And these beliefs have been developed within us for years, Victor. Like you said, 30 years, 35 years in NLP, about the same for me. And it's just been developed within us, right? And Ricardo, it's just part of it. I'm sure you've worked with a lot of people over the years. Who comes to mind if your entire practice flashed before you? What cases have you worked on that today, looking back on them, were very difficult, 
but somehow you were just the right person to be able to help them. What are the most memorable cases you worked on? The most memorable, and it just, the minute you said most memorable, this, this one situation comes to mind. It wasn't necessarily the most difficult, actually the opposite. It was very simple, but I was making it difficult. To you, yeah. Correct. To you, let it me, was simple. Let me elaborate. Um, so we had a, I was working with a kid who, she was struggling with reading books, re, just reading in general. She was mid, you know, 12, 13 or so, somewhere around there. And she was just struggling reading. And so we took her some books. We helped her work through the books and then showed her just the power of just getting started instead of making it this big, huge, daunting task. Oh, by the way, this is only her. No one else in the world ever does this. She was making just the act of reading a book, this big, old, huge, daunting, overwhelming task that she couldn't accomplish. And all we did, all I did was just talk to her about, hey, if you can just read one paragraph, that's a win. That's it. Just one paragraph. Can you read one paragraph a day? That's it. Nothing more. Well, yeah, I can read one paragraph a day. That's all we're going to focus on. Nothing more. One paragraph a day. Which, by the way, that's a very Ericksonian strategy. When couples would come to Erickson and complaining about what the other one did, I remember one case of one lady that uh, she was obsessed about having a clean house. And so what he did in order to take away that obsessive compulsive behavior, he had her just clean a corner. That's it. That's it. In, in a room. And so what you end up doing is you end up reconditioning and changing the internal criteria for what something should be done or to what extent something should be done. So good for you. And tell us, um, how did this case work out? Reader ever since. This oh, was, that's amazing. You know, 10, 10 years ago, seven years ago, she went to half price books with her mom, bought a ton of books and just started reading. That is amazing, Ricardo. With just one little intervention. That's it. You changed this person's life. That's it. But it was so, it was such a like, hey, this is it. But I mean, that made such a big impact. And Absolutely. just the fact working with young people is the biggest impact. Do you work with a lot of kids? Not as many as I would like to. Okay. Not as many as I would like. Um, my Tell biggest... us about one other case. That was a great story. Oh, the other case, the other big significant case is one of the biggest things, that, and I'm just kind of summarizing several of the biggest breakthroughs now. The biggest breakthroughs come from allowing people and showing people that they don't have to be in it all of the time. In other words, in NLP, there's a concept called association and right. disassociation. Right. So just to simplify, when you're associated with something, you're in a movie. You're in it. You're living right. it and experiencing it through your own eyes, ears, and feelings. When you're disassociated, it's like you're watching it on the TV screen or in the movie theater. Right. You're sitting in the chairs. And that's been one of the biggest things that I love teaching people is because people seem to sometimes believe that they're always stuck in their feelings and they're, they can't do anything about it. 
and helping them condition disassociating and literally physically stepping back and out of it gives people so much clarity and the changes that you can immediately see in their physiology are amazing, are amazing. And it's like you, have you ever had a situation where you have an old prescription for your eyeglasses and you know you need a new prescription, you know something is wrong, but it's still okay, not bad enough for you to go get a new prescription. And then you finally go to the optometrist, you get the new glasses and you're like, wow, I didn't know what I was missing out on because I was so used to it and it wasn't bad enough for me to do anything about it. But now that I have the new prescription, it's a different world and I'm experiencing everything in such a different way. Helping people realize that they don't, they don't have to be in it. Right. The majority of the time that it's a choice and showing them how to get out of it and deal with it and lower the intensity of the negative and, up the intensity of the positive, gratitude, joy, love, whatever it may be, that's powerful. Sometimes I forget about how powerful NLP is with some of these little techniques that can that can empower the average person to be able to do things that that are getting in the way, like like Correct. your feelings. That's a great story. And by the way, I use dissociation whenever I go to the dentist. I just project myself outside my body and you're going to feel less pain by doing it. Correct. I do it too. I'll, I'll focus on the music and the overhead. Like I'll, I'll sure, change, sure. I'll, you know, I'll just do another focus, one of the backgrounds. Sure. You know. Do you have any techniques to do some modality work that you could share with our listeners right here live? They will hear the recording, but do you have any technique on uh, how to shift your submodalities to be able to change something? Sure. We can do a really basic association, disassociation. Why don't you go ahead and do that for our listeners? All right. Perfect. If you're driving, do not do this while you're driving, right? So if you're driving, do not close your eyes and don't do this while you're driving. Come back to the recording and pick up this bit. But if you're somewhere where you're sitting down, sit up or lie down and just get comfortable and take a deep breath in through your nose and exhale through your mouth. Breath in and exhale. And real quick, just think of a moment that you feel joy. This could be any moment from your life, past, childhood, Last week, it doesn't matter. Just think of a moment that you felt joy. Seeing what you saw, hearing what you heard, and feeling what you felt, allow this experience in your body. From the bottom of your feet to the top of your head, experience joy. Make the picture bigger and brighter. Turn up the volume and intensify the feelings and just experience the joy. At the count of three, I want you to step into this moment, seeing it through your eyes, hearing it through your ears and feeling it through your own emotions. One, two, three. Now you're in this moment of joy. See it, 
hear it and feel it through your own eyes, through your own ears, and through your own emotions. And just enjoy the feeling. You can take a deep breath and open your eyes and just experience the joy even now in this moment. There we go. Thank you so much, Ricardo. That's how simple and that's how powerful NLP is. And that is why guys like you and I took to it to be able to acquire as much knowledge and mastery as we could because it's it literally changed our lives, didn't it? Significantly. There's so many resources out there right now that were not available in Absolutely. 1990. Yes. So, when I got started, there was one book in print. That's it. <laughs> and, I, and I had to order it because I had to do interlibrary loan from the Library of New York. That's and how much was out there. And what city were you in? I was in San Antonio at the time. And I was in East Texas, Longview, Texas, population of 60,000. Oh, that's <laughs> even worse. That's even worse. So, yeah, there was nothing in the library. There was nothing there. And now you know, there are I had thousands, to out thousands, thousands of books and, and so much on YouTube that people can learn. Correct. Even just the basics. You can go look up association, disassociation. You can look up anchoring. You can look up belief systems, NLP. And there's so much information yes. out there that you can learn these super simple basic techniques and frameworks that yes. will make a significant difference. Ricardo, what's on the horizon for you? What's your next interesting projects that you got going on? Uh, the big thing that we have going on here is we host masterminds and trainings four times a year here in Dallas, Texas. So the next one will be in July. We have a super powerful group of entrepreneurs and people who just want to be better, learn and grow. Is that in I'm, person? It's in person here in Plano, Texas. I'm currently working through the certified high performance coaching certification. So I'm going to start that that's going to start to be part of the frameworks that I present as a trainer. Okay. But honestly, the biggest and most important thing that we do, Victor, is that we have a nonprofit 501c3 here in North Texas. You're pretty that, proud of that. So we'll put your information in the show notes if people want to find out more about that, because yeah. I'm a big believer in philanthropy and giving back and paying it forward in our community. It's a big thing. And uh, we come together, we deliver a week's worth of groceries to families in need for Thanksgiving. And then for Christmas, we'll sponsor families. We actually go to these families. And when we go, there's no Christmas tree, zero presents, except for what we take them. And it's a big thing because I've been on that side of it before. Yes. And I remember that. And the bigger picture here is that we don't know who we're influencing for the future. Absolutely. You could be changing a person's life with one act of kindness. That's it. That's our motto. One act of kindness can change everything. Yes. Well, not every hero wears capes, do they? So true. So true. <laughs> Ricardo, I want to thank you for joining us on our show today and many blessings in your future endeavors. 
Thank you. It's been an honor and a pleasure being here with you, Victor. Thank you.